You're listening to a sermon on the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Hang around after the sermon for more information about Mission Ridge Church. Sermon notes for this message or any of our other messages can be found through our website, missionridge.church. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoy the message. What we want to do this Lenten season is just have this conversation of what does it look like to be closer to God? And, uh, and, and the way we picture this is you, you got this map and, and you start on this journey. And if you've ever played a role-playing game, you pick up tools along the way as you go and it helps you to accomplish your mission, right? So these six sermons are going to be about giving you tools that you could pick up along the way to help you grow closer to God, now, uh, the, the sermons sometimes will be connected to another sermon, and some of the sermons will be uh, kind of like short stories, very disconnected, its it, its own device. And so just wanted to give you that kind of heads up. There's not as much connection between all these sermons as we typically do, like not one constant theme all the way through. Um, and then you also, when you get done with this journey, you have to say Jumanji three times. So I just wanted you to be aware of that. Uh, J.D. Greer wrote the book, uh, Jesus Continued. And it, he starts off the book talking about a young man that sat in his office. And, and this young man uh, was, was distraught. He said that it, it seemed to him that God uh, was the God of the past, and that, that God had given us these requirements and that uh, we were supposed to live out these requirements, but God seemed to left, left it to us to figure, figure it out. And, uh, and so this young man, he had busied himself. He, he had seasons of, of feverish, radical activity for God but then he would have seasons of despair. Uh, so seasons of high highs and, and seasons of the lowest lows emotionally because it felt like nothing was really getting accomplished and, and the problems of the world were just piling up and getting worse and getting worse. And he was starting to lose heart and he was starting to lose interests. And he found himself more and more disconnected from God. Now he would say that he had a relationship with God in the sense that he would bring his needs to God and, and hope God heard those needs. And, and, and sometimes he would see something cool happen and he'd associate it with God. But, but by and large, he felt like God left us here. Jesus left us here to figure this out. This young man uh, said that the boredom led to engaging dark appetites of the flesh. 
And he was left with this question of, is there really a God who could be experienced? Is there really a God that can be experienced? Because Jesus said in John chapter 16, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And I wonder how confusing this statement by Jesus must have been. Uh, If you watch The Chosen, you'll see these conversations between the disciples, especially when Jesus isn't there. And it's it's the classic, well, I think the Messiah is going to do this. I think the Messiah is going to do that. I think he would say this about that thing. No, no, no. He would say this other thing. And you see this conflict between the disciples when Jesus isn't there. And they expect that when Jesus walks on the scene that he's going to resolve their conflict. And typically he, he has something else in mind and, and, the, and, the, and the boys have to get on his conversation, not the other way around. Like Jesus, come solve our conflict here. He's like, no, 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 that's not what I'm about, boys. You, you, you get on my plan. I, I think the chosen has probably represented that well. I mean, we live that out today within the churches, don't we? Oh, this is what God expects of us. No, 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 no. No, no, we got this thing over here. That's what God expects of us. And then, you know, Jesus goes up on the Mount of Transfiguration. He takes three of his disciples. The other nine are left behind. And even though the other nine had been involved in casting out demons in the past, When Jesus goes up the Mount of Transfiguration, the disciples are like, I don't know what I'm doing, right? Or or there's a time that in in a boat where, where Jesus is just simply taking a nap. How well do the disciples do when Jesus is just taking a nap? (laughs) And yet Jesus says, it is better for you that I go. Because if I don't go, the helper won't come. Well, J.D. Greer asked this question. Does your experience with the Holy Spirit validate Jesus' promise that it is to our advantage that he go away if it means that we get the Holy Spirit? Answer that question for yourself. We sing this song, I can only imagine what it'll be like when I'm walking by your side. It's Logan's favorite song to hate. It's his favorite song to hate. Um, I mean, the the theological implications are, Lord, I'm, I'm here on earth And I can't wait until I'm not here on earth and I'm with you instead. But Jesus says, it is better that I go. Does your experience with the Holy Spirit, answer this question for yourself. Does your experience with the Holy Spirit validate Jesus's promise? Is he answering your doubts? Do you see your mother-in-law healed? Do you feel as close to Jesus as John did leaning up 
against the breast of Jesus? Does your experience with the Holy Spirit validate Jesus' promise? What's your life been like? Jesus in Acts chapter 1, after the resurrection, uh, and before his ascension, he says this to his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. You will receive power. We, we're hoping to be witnesses of Christ to this neighborhood that's just adjacent to us here. The neighborhood that we're walking and praying through Do we expect power from the Holy Spirit to be witnesses? Is that our expectation? See, I think Jesus is telling his disciples, don't, don't try to do the Christian life on your own. In fact, he tells the disciples, don't even start. You, you, you need to wait. Now, he tells them, wait 10 days. I wonder if I could do that. <laughs> wait right here. <laughs> wait 10 days. But at Pentecost, we're told that the Holy Spirit descends on the disciples and, and the people take notice, right? We're told that there's devout men from, from the whole world and everybody hears the conversation, these proclamations of God's greatness in their own language. And, and as I was reading that this morning in my uh, Life Transforming Group reading, uh, oh, by the way, we're moving on to the book of Acts. We'll get there. Um, but as I was reading that this morning, I was thinking how amazing is our God to pay attention to every tribe, every tongue, to have them there in that moment to have them there and for everyone to hear the conversation in their own tongue. That is a God that cares about all the people. And we're told that uh, Peter preaches his first uh, sermon or at least the, his first recorded sermon. I, if you were a preacher, you were always a preacher. So I imagine he was always preaching at somebody something, Right. But it's the first recorded, and, and he says this right before we get into uh, Acts chapter 2. He says this, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, this Jesus whom you've crucified. And so, so Peter preaches. And he says, this Jesus who, whom you crucified, this is the Lord, this is this is the Messiah. This is your Savior. And this is what happens. Now, when the people heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
Now, I want to stop there for just a second. When you've talked to your friends about Jesus, have you talked to them about their need to, to repent? Because I think we talk to people about the need to be baptized. But what about the other two ends of the spectrum, the, the repentance? And do we tell them that they will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit? Are we telling people that they will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit? Because as a pastor, I don't know how many times I've actually said that to someone. I'll get to that more here in just a second. Um, but Peter goes on to say this, for the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off in Missoula, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. The promise of the power, the promise of the gift, the promise of the Holy Spirit is for you, for your children, all who are far off, everyone who responds to the calling placed within their heart by God. That's who this promise is to. This promise is to you and I. So why does our experience not match up to the promise? Why is that true? Uh, I want to give you a little disclaimer here. Um, some disclaimers before we get too deep into this, because I know we start talking about the Holy Spirit and people, people get a little nervous. You know, what's, what's going on here? Are we, are we really going to talk about the Holy Spirit? I mean, uh, as Aaron puts it, we talk about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And I'm talking about the people of our ilk. We, um, Mission Ridge is a restoration movement church, right? We're a restoration movement church. And uh, I, I've been pursuing uh, the Holy Spirit uh, for like, I felt like I lacked the discipleship in this area. Going back uh, a few years, I felt like, man, there's something lacking in my discipleship. And I think there's something lacking in our corporate discipleship within the restoration movement. And so I started reading more. I started reading J.D. Greer. I started reading R.A. Torrey. And uh, so for a few years, I've been pursuing the Holy Spirit more. But within the last 90 days, I've really sensed I need to, I, I, I need to pursue the Holy Spirit more. I've, like, I really need to go after my own discipleship in this. Uh, and then uh, um, Raleigh Hutton invited me to a conference um, and it was a conference for Restoration Movement church pastors. And it, it was an online conference a few weeks ago. It was, it was for Restoration Movement pastors that are uh, looking to make disciples that make disciples. So people of our ilk. And, and we'd have, uh, there'd be like a, an hour long conversation and then breakout sessions all online 
hour-long conversation, breakout sessions. And, and, and you know what the other pastors, like me, said? And I don't think we're speaking in tongues either. We haven't been, we haven't been discipled on the Holy Spirit. We, we've shied away from this conversation. It's, it's, it's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, to some degree, is always going to be a, a mystery. That's okay. But he's a person who wants to be known and, and wants to engage with us. And, and he's, a, he's part of the Godhead. And Jesus said he's our helper. And it's better that Jesus goes away so that we can experience the Holy Spirit here and now. And when you leave to your house and I leave to my house, we still experience the Holy Spirit. Because the disciples, they had to fight for time with Jesus. That's a reality. Not everyone got the same attention, the same level of conversation, the same uh, backstage pass to Jesus. So some disclaimers. Uh, We're talking about the spirit in the scriptures. If you want to know the Holy Spirit more, open up your Bible. We're going to start there. Uh, I'm not talking about the emotionalism that sometimes gets associated with the Holy Spirit. Uh, Will you experience emotions because of the Holy Spirit? I'm, I'm sure you will but he's also a God of intellect. He's a God of power. He's a God of majesty. He's a God of wisdom. And our experiences with the Holy Spirit should match up to the scriptures. And uh, I don't don't anticipate people falling down when when I touch them. That would be weird. Um, I don't see that in the scriptures. I don't see any reason for that. So I'm not, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm just talking about us knowing the Holy Spirit and trusting that he wants to work in us today. And again, I think this is a discipleship issue. So that's my disclaimer. Are we all on the same page? Maybe. All right. Uh, Luke continues to capture what took place on that day of Pentecost. He says, and with many other words, uh, Peter solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. So then, those who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. 3,000 people came to Christ. I wonder what they will do. 3,000 people received the Holy Spirit, just like the disciples. The disciples were told beforehand this was going to happen. In this moment, they're told this is what's going to take place. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon you when you are baptized. So how did they shape their lives? What did the 3,000 do in response to receiving the Holy Spirit? I think that's important. Verse 42, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teachings because they didn't know much about Jesus other than the rumors, right? 
they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and the breaking of bread and to prayer. If we want to be closer to God, these four pieces may be part of that equation. These might be things that we need to pick up on our our journey to help us to be closer to God. Devoting ourselves to the teachings, to fellowship, to breaking bread and prayer. Because, guess what, folks? There are no accidental great relationships. If you're married, you didn't accidentally get there. You pursued, you were pursued and you responded. There's no accidental great relationships. If you are a foster mom, you had had to learn that kid. You had to You had to get into their world. You had to ask questions. You had to explore their world. If you have a best friend, you had to go on on adventures together. Uh, My buddy James, last year, uh, we decided to uh, take up golf. And uh, we were both equally bad. I mean, he was a little bit better, but that didn't mean much because we were both bad. Uh, he just lost less balls than I did. So that's how you tell if you're better than someone else is how many balls do you, did you go with and how many did you come back with? We changed our schedules. We went on adventures. We had hours of conversation as we're looking for these little round things on the ground. Like, what color is mine again? There are no accidental great relationships. If you want a great relationship with the Lord, you're going to have to invest in it you will have to invest in that relationship. Every great relationship changes your schedule, your interests, your habits, and your routine. You will try things that you didn't think you liked or you were convinced that you didn't like. They will suddenly become something that you least tolerate because of that relationship. Uh, I don't know how many times uh, my wife has initially said of, of a certain band, I can't stand this band. But she listens to it, and she, pretty soon she starts singing to that band because of me. Uh, I've learned to not like water as much. <laughs> uh, we, we judged ourselves to that person if we want to have a great relationship. Michael, have you adjusted yourself to a relationship down in uh, uh, Southern California? Has it changed your schedule, your interests, your habits, and your routine? Yeah. (laughs) Yes, it has. Rob is preaching. (laughs) There are no accidental great relationships if you want to be closer to God. It won't just happen. It won't just happen. If you want to be closer to God through the Holy Spirit, it won't happen by accident. There's a 
Old Testament promise in Ezekiel that says, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you'll be careful to observe my ordinances. And this is, uh, this is one of those passages where, you know, Ezekiel's talking about all kinds of things and all of a sudden it's like, and let's talk about the Holy Spirit really quick. Okay, now back to the regularly scheduled conversation. And, um, but just this idea that God's going to put his spirit in us and cause, cause us to walk in the statutes. It, it should remind us of Galatians chapter 5 where he says, But I say, walk by the spirit, and you'll not carry out the desires of your flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. So Paul's saying that, that while we want to live a spiritual life, while we, while we want to walk by the Spirit, there's things inside of us, these natural desires within us, that want to take us the other way. And we have to know that this battle is going to rage within us. If we don't know about that battle, guess what? We'll lose the battle. We'll lose the battle. He says, but if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. In other words, the law can't condemn you. Now, the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, Okay, yep, makes sense to me. Um, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger. Wait a minute. <laughs> Starting to hit home. Disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. In other words, this is not an exhaustive list of which I forewarned you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those who get really good at doing these things, like, man, 100%. You were doing 50%. You thought you should do better. You, <laughs> you start investing in your flesh more. You practice so much. Well job. Well done. So those are the deeds of the flesh, but he says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things. There is no law. Now those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So just as Christ went to the cross pay the penalty for our sins, we need to have that same intent to crucify the desires of the flesh. He says, if we live by the Spirit, let's also walk by the Spirit. So we receive the Holy Spirit when we are baptized. But, but that's, not, that's not where our relationship with the Spirit ends. We don't just passively move on into life, if we just passively move on into life, the flesh, the reason why Christ went to cross in the first place, our flesh will lead us astray. 
And, and it, it could be the way we conduct ourselves sexually. Or it could be the way we handle relationships. The way we engage with our spouse, the way we engage with our son or our daughter. Like, like I, how often we say, well, you made me so mad. No, 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 no. They did something and I responded out of my flesh instead of out of God's Holy Spirit. Now, this conversation is not about perfectionism. It's about pursuit. Are you going to pursue the Holy Spirit and go, Lord, I just had this situation and I responded and I didn't like the way I headed. I, I need you in this situation. I, I, need, I need to walk with you. I got, on, I got off path. I, I was going the wrong direction. Are you going to pursue the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's mechanisms for solving problems, for moving through life? Or are we going to continue just to blame the person unreserved that, you know, is driving too slow or, or the guy that's driving erratically or, you know, the guy that's behind me, this far behind me, doing 65 in the 55 and he's still this far behind me. Are we going to blame them? And something to remember about fruit. Fruit is not something we don't start working on being more loving to be more, to, to experience that fruit. Fruit takes time. And the pursuit has to be of the Holy Spirit. We don't get the Holy Spirit by pursuing love. We get love by pursuing the Holy Spirit. And it's going to take time. Now, one of the things I've been wrestling with with this whole conversation, because like, I think we, the, the disputes and dissensions and the factions and everything, like, we get that. I, I think we can all go, yeah, probably, that probably hits a little too close to home. But what about the immorality and the sensuality and that and the idolatry and, and the carousing and like we wouldn't actively do those kinds of things, would we? I mean, is that something that we would do? And, and maybe maybe enmity is like like I don't have any enemies. But I wonder how different our entertainment is today compared to the entertainment of that Roman culture. Things that we will watch on a screen that we wouldn't necessarily participate in personally. Like, like I wouldn't go into the gladiator pit, right? I wouldn't take someone's life in a gladiator pit, but I'd watch it on TV. Are we watching things? Are we entertained by things? Are we drawn to things that, like, like that young man in J.D. Greer's office, are we drawn to things within our flesh that where we tell the Holy Spirit, not now. I don't think you want to see this. I don't think you want to see this one. I don't think you want to see this movie. I don't think you want to see this show. I don't think you want to be 
a partaker in this. Because maybe that's why the Apostle Paul says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Maybe in the way that we participate through just watching by being entertained by. Or, or the Facebook posts that we like. Now, we didn't say it, but we liked it. Or a way we say, ah, my schedule doesn't, you don't fit my schedule right now. Nope, nope. That's for Sunday mornings, not, not for Wednesday afternoons with my neighbor. If he wants to talk to me, he could talk to me Sunday mornings. Got time scheduled for God's stuff then. Because the Holy Spirit started to say to me, you only want me part of the time. You only want me part of the time. Would he say that to you? Would he say that to you? There's another way that we're supposed to experience the Holy Spirit. Not just in dealing with the things of the flesh, not just dealing with our desires, but we're commanded to be filled with the Spirit. We're commanded by, and Paul's Paul in Ephesians 5.18 says, be filled with the Spirit. And you might wonder, well, what does that mean? And I think the, the disciples had the same question. <laughs> like, what does this mean? Luke talks about this idea of being filled more than any of the other apostles. And uh, he uses this verb, uh, play, row. It means to cram, to level up, to furnish, to satisfy, to execute, to finish, to verify. I like the cram. You are to cram yourself. This is a verb. It's not like I did cram myself. I had the Holy Spirit and now I'm crammed. No, this is an ongoing cramming. And this is the word that, that Luke chooses a number of times. Um, and so uh, in Luke chapter one, we're told that the John the Baptist uh, will have will be crammed with the Holy Spirit. And then when Mary greets Elizabeth, John leapt within in the womb because he was crammed with the Holy Spirit. And then Acts 2, the disciples, they were crammed with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And then Peter, as he preached in Acts chapter 4, he was crammed with the Holy Spirit. And the disciples, as they prayed in Acts chapter 4, later on in Acts chapter 4, they are crammed with the Holy Spirit. And then Ananias prayed for Saul, who would become Paul, that he would be crammed with the Holy Spirit, this ongoing reality. And Paul, while on his first missionary journey in Acts chapter 13, was crammed, filled up, overflowing with the Holy Spirit. Now, 
that doesn't make it any clearer, does it? Like, well, <laughs> what does that mean, though? He was crammed with the Holy Spirit. I think Luke had a hard time, like, having even the language of fully being able to communicate. And so he uses contrast because people were also filled uh, with wrath in Luke chapter 4. Uh, the paralytic, when he was healed, the people were, were crammed with fear in Luke chapter 5. The Pharisees, as Jesus taught on Sabbath, were crammed with madness. In Luke 6, the high priests and Sadducees um, had indignation. They were crammed with indignation. Um, the Jews, when they saw the Gentiles coming to hear about Christ, they were crammed with envy in Acts chapter 13. And finally, in, in uh, Acts chapter 19, the people were crammed with confusion. They were overflowing with confusion. So now we have a little bit of compare and contrast. Maybe you've seen someone that, that it didn't matter what you said, the, they became more confused. The more you tried to help them, the more confused they got. That's crammed. That's this word. They were full of confusion or envy, full of envy. Doesn't matter what anybody says. That's not, this isn't about you. Well, I'm going to make it about me. They're full of envy. Indignation. Some people, it just doesn't matter what happens. They're just going to be. So this is, this is the compare and contrast. How do we know if someone's full of the Holy Spirit? How do we know? We're going to see God working through them in such a way that there's, that it's just, it's like, it's obvious we maybe don't have a lot of language for it. There's not much we can, like, we won't, our description of it. Like, I think God is so big that for us to be able to think that we could fully describe him is ludicrous. There are words that we will learn in heaven that we haven't even thought of trying to learn this side of it. But if we're going to experience the Holy Spirit, uh, it, it, it's like uh, being on a lake with a sailboat and you feel the wind start to blow. You have two options. You can either, you know, get that two horsepower motor running and you could fight that wind. You could go the, whatever direction you want to go. You, two, horse, two horses, you got it. Have a nut. Go wherever you want to go. You could do it on your own power until you run out of gas. Or you could hoist a sail and you could go where the Spirit is leading. And you could experience His power and you could be on His agenda. And you can experience the joy of sailing. I think that's what being full of the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit, it's an active thing. We have to be willing to go and do and serve. I think about the way we're choosing to walk through neighborhoods and, and pray. If God doesn't show up, does us walking around saying words underneath our breath do anything? 
No, it's our anticipation that God wants us to be here. And so we're going to go and we're going to do, we're going to hoist our sail and, 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 and look for the wind to show up. Being filled with the Holy Spirit, by the way, Holy Spirit's always in control. And the Holy Spirit will always point to Jesus. If you see the Holy Spirit in me and, and the conversation becomes about how great Rob is because of the Holy Spirit, that's a wrong conversation. We, we will never go there. We will know it's the Holy Spirit when we're celebrating Jesus for who he is and what he's done. That's when we know. Do you want to be closer to God? Because Jesus made a promise that the helper would come. That he would give us power to be witnesses, that we'd be experienced God in our lives. And there are no accidental great relationships. Oh, by the way, that, that young man that was sitting in J.D. Greer's office, J.D. says, I didn't have any answers for him because I was the one asking the questions. J.D. Greer is a, is a Baptist pastor, uh, and he went on to describe how, in other parts of the book, he went on to describe how, how their church has been used by God uh, to send missionaries uh, around the world. And um, they went from being one of the churches that sent the least people to the church that sent the, the most. Um, and this was really, again, this was not to proclaim how great their spiritualness is, but to proclaim how great their God is. There are no accidental great relationships. In our life-transforming groups, we are in the book of Acts now. We're, uh, if you notice in the bulletin, it says Acts chapter 1 and 2. Uh, we're, this week, we're looking at the first two chapters of Acts. Over 40 times in the scriptures, over 40 times in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit is called out by name, and J.D. Greer says the Holy Spirit shows up 59 times. And so as you read the book of Acts, I invite you to become a student of the Holy Spirit like you became a student of your spouse or your best friend or your betas. Become a student. Of, like, ask the question, who is the Holy Spirit? What does he do? Why does he do it? How does he do it? And just start looking for him. Let's add to our own discipleship. Let's Let's look for the Holy Spirit. And let's pray without ceasing. When we, when we see problems, when we see challenges, when we see that we're responding according to the flesh or we're drawn to something that like, oh man, I, that was a bad idea. Let's respond to the Holy Spirit. Let's engage with the Holy Spirit and go, what do you want me to do with that next time? Let's have a conversation. I think that's why we're called to pray without ceasing because we're supposed to experience the Holy Spirit in our daily interactions, everywhere we go. It's one thing to pray in the morning. It's another thing to pray at night, but pray as you go along and just have that conversation with him. But oh, by the way, 
the vocal cords of the Holy Spirit are the scriptures. So we need the scriptures too because they are God-breathed. And so we need that as well. Well, I've said enough. And it's now time for you to say something to your God. Maybe there's something as part of this conversation about the Holy Spirit this morning that, that you need to wrestle with. Maybe there's something you need to confess. Maybe there's a promise that you haven't totally bought into. Let's take some time as we pass out the elements of the communion and just wrestle over this idea of, God, what is it you want me to understand about you? Thanks for listening to the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and share if you enjoyed this message. Mission Ridge is a church focused on relational discipleship and located in Missoula, Montana. If you are in the Missoula area, we would love to have you come and join us for worship. Service times, location, and all kinds of other fun stuff can be found on our website, missionridge.church. You can connect with Mission Ridge Church through Facebook or Instagram. So give us a like or follow. If you would like to partner with us financially, you can give securely online at missionridge.church/give. We'll catch you on the flip side. Thanks for tuning in.